Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that you are such a great and an awesome God, that you love each one of us so very much. And Lord, as we look at such a clear contrast between the, the religiosity of the Pharisees and the scribes and the love of our Savior, I pray, Lord, it would minister to each heart that's here. And Father God, that we would see that it's, it's so important that we have that intimate relationship with you, not just believing in you, but knowing you in a personal way. So, Father, I pray you bless this time in your word. May you be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, in John chapter 8, we, it's a chapter of contrast. We talked about this last week, that it begins with the story of the woman caught in adultery. And remember that that story is such a clear picture of the grace of God contrasted with the legalism of men. These Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, wanted to trip Jesus up, so they went out and they entrapped this woman. We don't know how that they caught her in the very act of adultery. That'd be pretty hard to do. And the fact that they only brought her to be judged and not the man, it makes me suspicious to think even one of the Pharisees might have been the one that was with the woman. They were doing everything they could to entrap the Lord, and they used this woman as a tool. And they brought her before the Lord, and they knew and they thought they had the Lord trapped because they said, you know, if he says stone her, if he condemns her, then then everybody's going to say, oh man, look, he's not this, this God of grace or this man of grace that he claims to be. But if he didn't say stoner, they would say, oh, he's going contrary to the law of Moses. And so they looked at this woman as just a a tool to use to entrap our Savior. They didn't care about her. They wanted to stone her to death. They brought her before the Lord, and the Lord looked out upon this woman who was guilty. This woman was guilty of her sin. There was no doubt about it. She was caught in the very act. She's no doubt laying on the ground waiting for the moment when the rocks are going to be hurled at her head. And instead of Jesus condemning the woman... Instead of Jesus judging the woman, he judged the judges, these Pharisees, these guys in their black robes who showed up, these pious guys with rocks in their hands. And as we saw last week, that Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand, and we don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote convicted them so much that they left. And I I believe that he may have written the names of every man and the name of the woman that he had committed adultery with. Because it says that he was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it's, he was without the very same sin. And the Lord looked beyond their self-righteous you know, attitudes and their, their black robes and all their rules, and He saw their hearts, and He knew they were hypocrites. And what's interesting to me is we know that as He rode in the ground, they all dropped their rocks and went home. But the, Lord, the lady was laying there, the woman was laying there on the ground, and how did Jesus respond to her? He said, gune, which means woman, the same way that He addressed His own mother. He didn't look at her and say, you vile woman, you, you, you know, you're worthless and you're done. He looked at her and He had compassion upon her, and He touched her and transformed her life. We know that because she said, Lord, she called Him Lord. And she, He said, go and sin no more. So we see the legalism of, of man, and then we saw the grace of God. The second contrast we saw was the darkness of the world in the light of our Savior. Jesus said in the second portion of the text, and starting in verse 12, He said, I am the light of the world. You know, the, the world that we live in is extremely dark. And, the, and what, what is the greatest thing that could pierce darkness? The only thing that could pierce darkness is light. And when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, He used the same word that was used when they asked, when Moses asked uh, God, who spoke to him in the burning bush when he was getting ready to go back into Egypt and free the slaves, who shall I say sent me? What is your name, God? Tell me your name, so when they ask me your name, I'll know what to tell them. And he said, I am that I am. And so here Jesus is claiming to be God. He says, I am the light of the world. 
And we know the response that he got from the, these, again, self-righteous men was they began to ridicule our Savior. They desired to see him put to death. So this week, we're going to pick up in verse 21, and we're going to look at three more contrasts, or actually four more contrasts as we go through. We're going to see the, the contrast between life and death. We're going to also see the contrast between freedom and bondage. We're going to see the, the fact that we're either a slave or a son or a daughter. And then we're going to see the contrast between honor and dishonor, all of it right here in this chapter. So I titled the message today, A Matter of Life and Death. And if you're here this morning, you might think you're here by chance, that just by chance you showed up or a friend's been inviting you for a long time and you said, okay, I'll go. I, uh, you know, they've been asking me so long, I better just go and get it over with kind of thing. But know this, that God brought you here for a divine appointment and God has something He wants to minister to every heart that's here today. And it's a matter of life and death, and that's what we're going to look at. So let's begin in verse 21 of John chapter 8. Again, this is going to be Jesus speaking to these religious men. And Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. For the second time in John's gospel that it emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ, Gospel of John is all about the fact that Jesus is God. And he says to them for the second time, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And they make the same mistake repeatedly that we often make when it comes to God. We look at things from a physical perspective instead of a spiritual one. And they're thinking, about, now they're going to start arguing among themselves, where is he going to go that we can't come? But he clarifies it in the second half of this verse, because he says to them, you will seek me and will die in your sin. You know, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God, our King, our Master, is a God of love and grace and mercy, but He's also a God of judgment. But it's righteous judgment, and it's loving judgment. It's only judgment that comes to those that He reaches out to over and over and over again and says, I love you, I want to have a relationship with you, you know, I want to be your Lord and your Savior, and we reject Him. Only then does that judgment come. Well, these self-righteous men with the black robes, with the wheelbarrow full of rules, with heaven at the end, you know, the guys that walk around, oh, you, can't, you can't have any joy if, you, if you're following God. You've got to look like you've been sucking on a lemon all the time, right? Yeah, I'm going to heaven, you know, right? And people think as a Christian, you just can't, you can't have any joy. But the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness. And these guys come before the Lord, and they're, they're accusatory, and He looks at them and says, I'm going away, and where I go, you cannot come. You're going to die in your sin. I'll tell you what, that's a heavy message coming from the Lord. Remember, He's talking to the Pope of the day. You know, they got the big hats on, man. These are the guys with the robes. These are the, hey, what are you talking about? We're the most religious guys around. People come in and ask us to pray for them. And you're telling us we're going to die in our sins and we can't go where you're going? Well, Jesus has a way of cutting to the quick and cutting to the heart. And there's no man-made path, there's no good deed that can restore sinful man back to holy God. There's nothing we can do to restore our relationship with God. God created each one of us to have a relationship with Him. And beginning with the sin in the Garden of Eden, man, holy, man's been or holy God's been separated from sinful man. And they thought they could do it by being good enough. Well, guess what? You can't. Verse 22. So the Jews said, will He kill Himself? Because He says, where I am going, you cannot come. Before they said, is He going to go out and hang out with the Gentiles? Now they're saying, is He going to commit suicide? Oh, is he going to kill himself? Is that why he's saying this? Is he, and they thought he was planning to kill himself, which would bring him into a place of judgment according to Jewish law. But guess what? It wasn't Jesus that was going to a place of judgment. It was these righteous men, these self-righteous guys, these holier-than-thou individuals who's, who Jesus is going to bring into a place of judgment, even right now. Look at verse 23 and 24. 
And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you're someone who underlines in your Bible, underline verse 24, and the next time a cultist shows up at your door and tells you and tries to pull anything, open to this verse, because it says, unless you say that I am, that word he there in your Bible, if you've got a good translation, is in italics, which means it's not in the original text. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God, if you do not believe that He is the I am, you will die in your sins. You can't be religious enough, you can't be righteous enough, and all these cultists will come by your door, and the first thing they'll tell you is that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, what Bible are you reading? Because He claims to be God over and over and over. And here's such a clear verse. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So if you're here this morning, and you, you, know, you think you're a pretty good person in comparison to the world, you may be. But in comparison to perfect God, you're a sinner in need of a Savior just like me. Amen? You know, if we compare ourselves to, well, again, some of you don't know who Charles Manson is. That kills me. But if you compare yourself to Charles Manson, who is a mass murderer or a violent individual, okay, if that clarifies things. If you compare yourself to him, you're always going to be better. But if you compare yourself to the Lord, you're always going to fall short. And so it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of where we spend eternity, and it's all based on one thing. What have you done with Jesus? Who do you say that He is? Do you confess that He is that great I Am? Have you asked Him to be your Lord and Savior, or is He just one of many great prophets? Is He one of the, you know, He's the most elevated of all the gurus, right? I've had a lot of Santa Cruz people tell me that, right? He's got the highest level of aura. No, I don't think so. He's Almighty God. Amen? He's the creator of the universe. He's the King of Kings. So unless you confess that He is the great I Am, you will die in your sins. That's a pretty straightforward gospel message. Amen? Jesus said, here it is, guys. Unless you believe that I Am, you will die in your sins. It's not unless you believe that I Am, and then you're baptized, and then you keep these 47 different rituals, and then you do all these other things. If you do all those, then just maybe when you get to heaven, depending on how I feel that day, I might let you in. A lot of people out there think that God's this God up in the sky that's got a big scale by your name. Oh, gave to charity, you know, did good things. Oh, yeah, well, you know, ran into a burning building and got a baby out, right, that kind of thing. And then, oh, blew it, sinned, oh, like got angry, right? And you're, you're, you've got this scale that's going back and forth all the time. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not on a scale, amen? Because mine would be like this, right, and this would be the bad side. I wouldn't have enough bricks to get that thing level again, right? But the reality is that Jesus Christ paid the price, and because I have confessed that He is the I Am, I will not die in my sins. And if you've confessed that He is the great I Am, then you've triumphed over sin and death through His shed blood upon the cross. But He says that to these guys, and what kind of reaction are they going to have? How are they going to respond? Jesus is God in the flesh, and either you confess your sin and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, or you will die in your sin. I wrote in my notes, we will die where we live. You're going to die where you live. If you live in your sin, you're going to die in your sin. If you live in Christ, you will die in Christ. And by the way, guys, if you haven't figured it out, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. Amen? I mean, you're going to spend, and by, we don't die, we just move to a much better address if you know Jesus, right? But the reality is that we're going to spend eternities a lot longer than our time here on earth. And sometimes we think we've been here a long time, but it's a vapor, the Bible says, in comparison with eternity. 
For those of us who know Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. We can look forward to it. We can know that we know. Where do you live? Are you living in Christ or are you living in your sin? Verse 25. And they said to him, Who are you? I'm surprised Jesus didn't just say, I just told you. (laughs) Right? Unless you confess that I am, you will die in your sin. They go, Who are you? Who do you think you are? Right? You know, and you just see these guys get confident attitude. Who are you? Who do you think you are? The Jews didn't get it. They had, they, Jesus had told them repeatedly and shown them repeatedly who he was. He was the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He taught with authority. He had testimony of the Father. We talked about this last week when Jesus was baptized. Remember what happened? The sky opened up. And God the Father said from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I'm thinking repentance everywhere. Amen? I'm thinking everybody be, oh, that, oh, that, that does it for me. I'm on my face, right? <laughs> But instead they're saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Blind. He performed miracles. He'd healed the lame man, the blind man. He'd casted out demons. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He openly proclaimed himself to be God. And yet these religious men were still blind to who he was. These were the guys that were supposed to be the transcribers of the word. These were the guys that were supposed to be carrying the Bible around. You know what? Here's the sad thing, you guys. Just because someone has pastor in front of their name or reverend or most holy potentate or whatever, whatever they want to call themselves doesn't mean that these people know God. Amen? That's why you don't listen to what men say, but this is the authority right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. We need to open this thing up and we need to know what the Bible says because men will lie to us. I tell you guys all the time, why do I teach you guys verse by verse through the Bible? I don't get up here and give you Dave's 10 opinions on marriage, right? You don't need that. Who cares? What do I, I mean, I need that message. You know, I need to hear that myself, right? That's my wife. I blow it, okay? But here's the reality. God's word is sufficient. And unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And they respond by saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Have you guys been listening? I've been telling you over and over. I've not only told you, but I've shown you who I am. You know what? That God has shown every one of us who He is. How many of you have ever seen a rainbow driving down the freeway or something before? And don't you, aren't you in awe? Dude, that is radical. And you know what? It's God's promise. Sadly, they've turned it into a flag for something contrary to God. But you know what? It, you look at it and you're just blown away. You look at creation and you see the hand of God everywhere around you. It's just as He has shown us from the beginning. The rocks cry out His name, the Bible says. We can know Him in a personal and intimate way. It's just as I've told you from the beginning. Verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but He he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from Him. Jesus revealed the heart, the word, the will, and the person of the Father. Later someone would come and say, when the apostles came and said to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He is God. Amen? Buddha, he's not God. Aren't you glad God's not a big fat guy sitting in a lotus position waiting for you to put an orange in his lap? Amen? I mean, that's not God. That's Buddha, right? And he's dead, right? And Muhammad and all these other people that people serve, that's not God. But Jesus Christ, you look at him, that's God. He's the God that we serve. And He's ministering to them, and he's making it very clear. He's saying, look, I've revealed the heart of my Father. Verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. 
Are we reading the same Bible? I mean, he's sitting there giving them the message. We're reading it. It's very clear what the Lord is saying. But do you know that the Bible says that those who do not know Christ, there's a scale over their eyes? How many of you got saved when you're older in life? You know, above like 20. Okay. Do you remember reading the Bible before you were a Christian ever, and then reading it after you got saved? And do you remember the difference? You read it before, and you're like, a bunch of stories. I don't get it. What's this all about, right? You know, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, isn't the same story over and over and over again? How come they keep repeating the same thing, right? And you read it and you just didn't get it because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to us. These guys were blind and they were spiritually blind and they didn't understand. Verse 28, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He says, when I've been lifted up, then you'll understand. The word there for lifted up, you see it also in Isaiah, it's a picture of the crucifixion. When Jesus was crucified, finally, and, but still most of them did not believe, there were some Jews who finally understood who he was. But it was proof of everything that he had said. Every word he had given, every message he had given to them, when someone raises from the dead, I think it points out the fact that what he's saying was probably true. Amen? You go to his grave three days later and he's not there? Oh, I think he was telling the truth, right? When he was hanging on the cross, right, do you know that at, at noon, that the entire sky grew dark for three hours, that the earth quaked, that graves opened up and dead people got up and went back into the city and testified to Jesus Christ? The Roman soldier at the cross said, Truly, this is the Son of God. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and he walked around and testified of himself. And this is what he's telling them. Look, when I've been lifted up, you'll see who I am. You don't believe what you've heard now. You should believe what you've already seen. Guess what? I'm going to ultimately prove it because I'm not only going to suffer and die and pay the price for your sin, but three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Truly, this man was the Son of God or is the Son of God. Verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is never alone. The only time he was ever alone was when the sin of all mankind was placed upon him on the cross, and he said, what did he say? Who remembers? Why have you forsaken me? Cried out to the Father and said, Why have you forsaken me? Because holy God cannot have sin in His presence. And so when the sin of all mankind was placed upon the second part of the Trinity, the person of Jesus Christ, it was the only time in history that God the Father was separated from God the Son. And it was torment to the Son. And it was torment to the Father. And it was done because He loves you. That's why, why, he, why he suffered that torment on our behalf. But what's awesome to me is that Jesus was not alone, and he always did the will of the Father. And here's the good news, you guys. If you, as we talked about last week, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you will never be alone again. You know, there's that God-shaped vacuum that Augustine talked about, and you try to fill it with, with sex and drugs and rock and roll, right? Money and career and position and power. and You try all those things, and your flesh is never satisfied. But when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, that God-shaped vacuum is, is taken care of. It's filled. And you will never, ever, ever be alone again. Just as the Father was with the Son, so the Spirit is now with us today. Amen? And we can walk with Him, and He leads and guides and directs our lives. Verse 30 says, And as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. How do these people come to believe that did believe? And I want, you'll see in a moment, it's not the religious leaders that believe. There was people in the crowd that were standing nearby, they heard His words, and they believed. How did they believe? 
They believed by hearing the word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so people get saved when they hear the word. That's why we don't have the flying Walendas here on Wednesday night and Bozo the Clown and, you know, you know building marshmallow towers and playing chubby bunnies and, you know, whatever else, right? And, and trying to entertain you guys. I mean, I'm not showing snippets from Braveheart and trying to give a spiritual in, you know, analogy to it. Or, you know, I mean, things that people do to entertain people in the church today. It's the word that transforms lives. God's word. I'm thinking a letter from God is better than the opinion of man all day long. Amen? And so that's why we open this thing up, because this is what will change us and transform us and make us more like Him. And those people that were standing by that heard the Word of God, it says many believed. You know what's been awesome? Is our church is, what, two and a half years old. We started with a handful of people, and people are getting saved here almost every week. But they're not getting saved here because of the charisma of men or because of the worship team or because of the, the beautiful gymnasium that we meet in <laughs> or the hard metal chairs that people are so excited to come back and sit on next week, Right? That's not why. Their, their lives are being transformed because of God's Word. God's Word reaches in and tills the soil of our heart, and we say, Lord, I need you. And He says, I love you. Oh, Lord, thank you. Forgive me. And God transforms our lives. It's exciting. And you know what? God's just getting started in Santa Cruz. If you haven't figured that out yet, God's doing great and awesome things here, and it's just going to get better. Amen? As long as the Lord tarries, He's just going to keep doing great works. I'm excited. Most of you know I went full-time last week. I, I'm excited. Full-time is not enough time as far as I'm concerned. I love being able to pray for you guys. I'm excited about what God's doing. I love seeing new, when you're new. If you're new here today, we've been praying for you. Well, how can you be praying for me? I just came here this week. Because we pray for those who are coming. We pray that you will feel loved and welcomed, that you will hear God's word, and you'll be a part of our family from the day you walk in the door. Amen? And you know what I love? I want to encourage you guys. What I hear all the time from people that visit here, man, you guys love each other. Man, I, I, I couldn't get in the door and 40 people were saying hi to me. That's good. That's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. Amen? And if we're here, we're called to be in the ministry. So if you're here, you're called. Let's love each other. Encourage each other. And so we see here that, that the Word of God transformed lives. It transformed sinners from, life and, from death into life. Their lives were transformed because of the Word of God. And so we see again that, that there was grace in the law and the contrast. We saw the contrast between light and darkness, but now we see the contrast between life and death. What transforms sinners from, from, from life into death? Only one thing can, and that's the Word of God. The only thing that can take someone who's hopeless and helpless and transform their life is God's Word. You know what? Most of you know that we support Gospel for Asia, and I'll tell you what, what an awesome week I had down there. You want to talk about people that get it. They get up every day and their entire staff prays for two hours, and I mean on their face. You're going to see God move, pray. Spend time in His presence. They don't pray, oh, we have to go pray. You know, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. It's hoping to sit on and eat a bagel or something, right? But you know, they go and they pray because they realize, I'm going to go into the presence of the Creator of the universe. And you get on your face and say, Lord, your will be done. And when you're done, you, you go pray for two hours, you're not screaming at your wife 15 minutes later. Amen? It's just not going to happen. You're, you're going to have, your heart's going to be in tune with His. But you know what? They pray, they seek the Lord, and they have a passion to, to get the Word of God to people and to plant churches. You know, you can go out and do medical missions, and that's great. And you go down and build a house for the poor people, and that's wonderful. But if you build them a house and you don't tell them about the love of God, what have you given them? You give people medicine and you, res you take away their illness, but they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. And they showed us the latest figures. They have started over 16,000 churches in India. 
And it's not a church until it's got 50 people who have been baptized. And when you get baptized in India, your whole family disowns you. So it's pretty serious. Now, what are they doing? They're just, and what I'm going to be doing is going over there, and there's going to be 150 to 200 guys in a room. And for 17 days straight, 12 hours a day, I'm going to teach these guys how to teach the Bible. And then they're going to go out two by two into villages that have never heard the name of Jesus before and start churches. And what's awesome to me is it's going to be hundreds of thousands of people impacted by just that one class. That's my heart for Santa Cruz, is that we need to love people. We've got to give them the word. Because without the word, their lives cannot be transformed. It bugs me when I go to a church and nobody's got their Bible. What's up with that? What kind of church is it? How can we be coming to church and there's no Bible? Now, if you came this morning and you didn't have your Bible with you, it's okay. We love you guys. Take one. Have one, please. I'll, you know, give you two. One for your car, one for here. Whatever we need to do, right? I want you to have the Word. But some they get so far away from the Word and they're teaching psychology and, you know, seven keys to your joy or whatever. Man, the Bible is sufficient. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. Many believed because they had heard the Word. Now we move on from life and death to freedom and bondage, which is an outpouring of that. Let's take a look in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. Uh-oh, that word abide again. Whoop, whoop, whoop. All right, everybody's going to get all... What does that mean, Pastor Dave? Am I eternally secure or not? What's the program here? What does that mean? Here's the thing, you guys. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, you will abide in His Word. And if you do not abide in His Word, I believe you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ. Do I believe that once saved, always saved? Yes, I do. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me that no one will ever snatch you out of my hand. That's what He said. That's Jesus talking. I'm taking His Word. Amen? He said, no one will ever snatch you out of my hand. So if I'm His and I'm adopted into His family and I'm one of His kids, He's not going to disown me. But here's the thing. Because you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer when you were nine years old and you put the get out of hell free card in your wall, that doesn't mean you're saved. Amen? If you truly fall in love with the Lord, you will abide in His Word. His Word will become a part of you. You'll desire His Word more than your necessary food, as it says in the book of Job. Now, does that mean I'm never going to sin again? Absolutely not. We're, we all sin today. Amen? We're sinners. But the difference is that when you're born again and you abide in His Word, sin brings grie grieves your heart. You, you sin and you go, oh Lord, forgive me. Before you're born again, you ran to sin, and now when you've been born again, you run from sin. Amen? And so it convicts us. And so we should be abiding in His Word. He says, he who abides in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. The word disciple means learner. A disciple indeed, someone totally committed. True disciples abide in the Word of God. They put the Word of God into practice in their life. True disciples, again, are both learners and faithful followers. Our lives are changed and transformed by the Word of God. It says in the Bible, be not conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repent means to turn. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it wasn't like, yeah, what did you do this weekend? I went to a concert with my friends, and then... Uh, yeah, and we went and had a chili dog, and then, oh yeah, I, got, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and then I went, no, 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 it wasn't like the shopping list thing that you did on the weekend. You know what? I used to be walking this way, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and now I'm going this way. That's what repent means. It means to turn. My life has changed. You know what? If you've been saved, your friends are going to know it. It may take, they're going to go, dude, what happened to you? What's up with you, man? What, what, what's, what's up with your life? 
You know, you used to talk like this and walk like this and do this, and now you don't do any of that anymore. And it's not because you're Mr. Goody Two-Shoes with the, with the black robe and the board that you have to hit yourself in the face with every three feet to prove you love God, right? That's not what it is. It's because when you fall in love with the Lord, that your heart, His heart becomes your heart. His desires become your desires. His will becomes your will. You begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates. His word begins to abide in you. That's why I want to encourage you guys you know what, get up in the morning and open this up before you start your day. My disciples will abide in my word. You can't abide in something you don't ever read. Amen? Pastor Dave's exhorting us now. Okay. I want to encourage you guys, read the Bible. It's an awesome book. You know what I love about the Bible? How many people here have been saved more than five years? Raise your hand. More than 10, keep them up. More than 20. More than 30. More than 40. Awesome, okay? You know what's awesome to me? You can have been saved last Sunday, and six people got saved here last Sunday. You can got saved last Sunday, you can be saved 50 years, and the message today will still minister to your heart because this is not an old, antiquated book. It's the living, breathing Word of God. Amen? Oh, I've read the Bible. I'm done, right? It's not like we're reading Moby Dick. If, you were, if you've been reading Moby Dick for 50 years, people think you've got a learning disability, right? <laughs> like, what's up with you? You're still reading that book? But with the Bible... With the Bible, it's transforming our lives. I read the same chapter today that I read a month ago, and God will minister something different to my heart. Amen? That's what I love about this book. That's why we need to spend time in the Word every day. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling at work. You're losing your temper. How much time are you spending in the Word? It's amazing how those two things kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, we're, I'm just, we're not getting along. You guys praying together? Well, no. Have you been spending time in the Word? Well, not really. I, but we just don't get along. Well, Here's an idea. Open the Bible. Start praying with your wife and watch what God will do. Your priorities will change. Everything will change. And so we see here that the Lord is telling them, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And look at verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Bible tells us that we were, and we're going to see this in a moment, we were once slaves to sin, but now we're free. Amen? We used to be slaves, and now we're sons. I don't think we're going to get to that part this morning, but we, we, we were slaves, and now we're sons. We used to be slaves to sin, now we're free from sin. You've heard people say this, the truth shall make you free. Well, guess where it came from? It's right here. And who's the truth? Jesus, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is it that makes us free? Jesus. Nothing else can bring freedom to our lives. The fruit of genuine salvation is that we are set free. If you know the truth, then the truth shall make you free. Free from bondage of sin, ignorance, the law, and even death. True discipleship is abiding in the Word. True freedom is knowing Jesus Christ and walking with Him. Those who truly know God have experienced genuine salvation. They've been delivered from sin and death and walk in the light and are led by the Holy Spirit. Does that describe your life? Are you walking in the light? Are you led by God? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Have you confessed that He is, I am He? Is He more than, than an hour on Sunday? Is He truly somebody that you know in an intimate and a personal way? The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. If I only spent one hour a week with my wife, I'd be in big trouble. Right? And as the bride of Christ, I need, he, you know what? Jesus is my best friend. When I'm driving in the car, He's with me. I'm, you know, I, I've told you guys this before. I begin my day with prayer, and I just put God on speakerphone, man. I just leave it on all day. I'm driving around talking to the Lord, right? Amen? And that's the kind of relationship we should have with Him. Abiding in Him. Drawn near to Him. 
He's our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King, and he wants to make us free. Verse 33, they answered him and said, we're Abraham's descendants. My great uncle was a priest. I've got a friend who's in seminary right now, right? I mean, you notice how people do that? People do that with me all the time. I was flying back and forth from Dallas, you know, when I went out there, and I had layovers in each place, and all four people that sat next to me, I got to share the gospel with for a couple hours each time. But I always pray that God will put someone next to me, and it was incredible. One lady, we started talking, I handed her, and she said, well, you know, I said, what do you do for a living? She says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I handed her my card. She started crying. Well, well I... I you know, God put you here to talk to me. I said, yeah, absolutely, that's true. He did. And so we talked about the Lord for two hours. And what I love about it is that those divine appointments of being able to share the love of God with people. But what's interesting to me is that one of the ladies I was talking to, the first thing she told me, and she wanted to make sure I knew, my uncle is a priest. I said, hey, that's pretty good. My uncle's a CPA. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes I don't think we get it. You know what I mean? We think that somehow we earn God's favor because of, oh, I've got a relative who was in the mission field in India for two years. Ooh, God's going to be impressed with that on Judgment Day, right? And, and the reality is that God has no grandchildren. And we're not saved because of how righteous our parents are or our uncles are or our friends are. At some point, it's got to be me and God. At some point, I'm going to stand before him, and my, my great uncle's not going to be there. It's going to be me and him. And it's going to be, what have I done with him? Have I confessed that he is the great I am? Or am I going to die in my sins? Those are the two choices. There's no in-between. There is no purgatory, regardless of what someone might have taught you. You don't get prayed into heaven. Well, you do, but it happens here. Amen? I mean, you pray and say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I give my life to you here and now. And he will transform our lives. We're almost done. No way I'm finishing the chapter. Pastor Dave. All right. It says, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be, you, you will be made free? You know what? Not only are these guys ignorant, but they just don't even know the truth. Let me ask you a question. Have the Jews ever been in bondage before? Duh. Wasn't there that 400-year thing over in Egypt? You remember that part, guys? What about the Assyrians? What about the Babylonians? Aren't you guys kind of in bondage to the Romans as we're speaking right here in the text? We've never been enslaved to anybody. You know what? Until you realize that you're in bondage, you will see no need to be set free. Amen? Until you first realize that you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a Savior. And these guys didn't get it. Well, yeah, well, I've got a big house up on the hill over here. You know, and by the way, the Pharisees had... The, ch the coin, man. These guys had money. These guys had bank. Remember last chapter? It says that they went back to their mansions, basically. They went home, and Jesus went and slept on the Mount of Olives. He had no place to lay his head. And these guys had all the money and had all the stuff, and they were miserable because, and they were trying to keep people oppressed so they would serve them. And Jesus came just to minister to people's lives. Verse 34, And Jesus answered, said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is speaking about spiritual freedom, and they're talking about political freedom. Again, reliant upon their physical heritage rather than spiritual transformation. You know, Abraham's my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And I'm through the line of Judah. And I'm through the, you know, and they write out their genealogy and go, here, see, proves it. I belong to God. And the Lord's telling them that's not it at all. You know what? He whom the Son sets free 
is free indeed. The Son is Jesus Christ. There is no one else who can set you free. No religious heritage, no background, no, no, no good works. There's only one thing that can set you free from sin, and that's Jesus Christ. Israel had been in bondage. These guys are in bondage. They needed to be set free, and they just didn't get it. And then it says there in these last three verses, of verse 34 through 36, it says, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Every one of us in here is either a slave or a son or a daughter. You're either a slave to sin or you're a son or a daughter of Christ, of God. Amen? You've either been adopted into God's family and you're his child, or you're a slave to sin. That's what the Lord is saying here. Now, what's the difference between a slave and a son? Here's what I wrote down. A slave has no part of the family. The slave has no inheritance. The slave has no promise that they're going to stay there permanently. Slave is there until the owner says, you know what, I'm going to sell you to somebody else. But what about a son or a daughter? A son is not in bondage. A son or a daughter has no debt to pay. A son or a daughter has an inheritance. A son or a daughter is involved in a permanent love relationship, bound voluntarily by love, not restrained in bondage by law. You know what? I'm bound to my children out of love for them. I love my kids. I, you know, I know you get sick of me talking about it. I love my kids so much that I drive down the freeway and start weeping thinking about them. I'll look at pictures on my desk, and I got a picture of my daughter when she was two, and now she's 14, and I get all, you know, what happened? My baby girl's growing up, right? Because I love my kids so much. And I think, you know what? I'm one of his kids. And if I'm an imperfect dad, an imperfect sinful man, and I have that kind of love for my children, what kind of love does God the Father have for me? Perfect, holy God. How much does he love me? Next time someone tries to tell you you're of no value, just remember that a value of something is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it. What was paid for you? You're God's treasured possession, the Bible says. He treasures you above all else. What did he pay for you? This right here. Send his son to suffer and die that you might have eternal life. How much does God love you? You know what? I love you guys. But if someone came and told me that one of my sons would have to die for you, I'd be having a hard time. As a matter of fact, I don't think it'd be happening. I'm sorry, I love you guys, but not quite that much. You know? <laughs> I love my son more. I mean, you know, because you look at him, you think, man, I love my son. Now, if, if, if they asked me to die for you, I think I could probably do that. But then when you look at your own children, you go, oh, wait a minute, now stop. But yet, Jesus is the Son of God, and he was sent to die for us that we might become his sons and daughters. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. It's a matter of life and death. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your King? Is he your best friend? Is he more than somebody that you just know about? One of the guys on the plane I was riding with was a real big basketball fan. And he was reading the sports page, he was talking about basketball. And we started talking about the Lord, and it was totally God, because I spent two and a half hours talking to this guy about the Lord. But he had grown up in a Christian home, he kind of walked away from God. His wife and his daughters were going to church every day by themselves. And he told me about a dream he had. And I'll make this quick. But he had this dream where he got in an elevator and he was going down this elevator and all of his, his great-grandmother died a long time ago. He used to tell him about Jesus all the time. Was with his family and his grandmother and his family all got off the elevator and he was still on it. And he couldn't get off. And it went all the way down and it kept going. And he said the elevator door opened up and he walked in and someone said, here, have a drink. Welcome to hell. And as soon as he looked around, everybody was weeping and, and crying out and, and in pain and in torment. 
He goes, what do you think that means? I'm like, dude, get off the elevator, man. I said, isn't it interesting that your wife and your kids are all going to church every Sunday and you're hanging out watching basketball, right? Well, I'm thinking. So the analogy I used with him was, I said, you know, what do you know about, who's your favorite basketball player? He goes, oh, Michael Jordan. I said, tell me about him. Where did he go to school? Oh, he went to North Carolina, yeah. How many years ago? Oh, he won the national championship. Oh, what number was he? Oh, he was number 23. Oh, that's great. What did he do in the NBA? Oh, he played for the Bulls. Well, you know, starts telling me, oh, he won six championships. He's won this many MVPs. Going on and on about Michael Jordan. I said, if you got in an elevator with Michael Jordan, would he have any idea who you are? Oh, uh, no. I said, why? Because you know all about Michael Jordan, but you don't know him, right? I said, you know what? You know all about God, but you don't know him. You can tell me that he died on the cross. You can tell me where he lived. You can tell me about Christmas and Easter, but do you have a relationship with him? Here's the good news. If you know Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, when you stand before him, he's going to say, I know you. Enter in, my good and faithful servant. People talk about connections, right? When I was a youth pastor for 15 years, people say, you know, homie's got my back, right? You know, creative universe got my back. Amen? My best friend is the Alpha and the Omega, and he put the stars in the sky. You want to talk about having connections. Do you know Jesus, or do you just know about him? Hey, have you confessed that he is the I am? If you haven't, you will die in your sins. Pastor Dave, you're talking about hell. Yes, hell's a real place. How can we be set free from bondage and the slavery to sin? It can only come through Jesus Christ. Be adopted into his family. If the worship team will come on up. I want to just say this morning, I got through half of the verses I was supposed to teach. What's up with that? But I want to encourage you guys with something. I don't care what you've done in your past. God loves you. I don't care how wicked your life's been. Here's the woman caught in adultery laying before the Lord. There was only one who could have thrown a rock at her. There's only one. Who was it that could have thrown a stone at her? Jesus. Because let he who was without sin cast the first stone, right? Couldn't he have thrown a stone at her? Did he? No. He had compassion on her. You may be here this morning and, and you're guilty of sin. Well, matter of fact, you are guilty of sin, every one of you, right? Me too. But here's the difference. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you confessed that he is the great I am? If not, you're going to die in your sins. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to make you one of his children because he loves you so very much. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are the great I am. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't come to you by our good works, but by the power of your Holy Spirit opening up our eyes. And Lord, I know that your word does not return void, and no doubt there are at least a few people here who have never given their life to you. And Father, I just pray that even if they've been going to church their whole life, even if, they, even if the people they came with think that they're a Christian, that they wouldn't rely on what other people think. They wouldn't rely on how often they've gone to church. But Lord, that they would respond to your Holy Spirit's call upon their lives this morning. So Father, I ask if there's even one person here who does not know you, that Lord, they would not walk out of these doors without confessing that you are the I Am. Lord, that no one would walk out of these doors, Lord, being under the judgment of sin. But Father God, freed from sin, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And as every head's bowed, if you know the Lord already, just be praying for those who don't. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You may have think, thought you'd come here this morning by accident, but God, before the foundation of the world, foreordained you'd be sitting in that hard chair right now. 
And he brought you here because he loves you so very much, and he wants to have that intimate relationship with you. He's holding his hand out to you right now saying, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to have that relationship with me. And if you want to respond to that, you know that you're a sinner and you need to be set free from your sin, I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. I'm going to have you raise your hand and I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you. I'm not asking you to join Calvary Santa Cruz. If you never come back here again, it won't matter. It's what you do with Jesus Christ that matters. And I just want to give you that opportunity. So if you're here this morning, and you know that you're a sinner, and you never confess that He is the I Am, and you want to give your life to Him, I want you to, wherever you're sitting right now, just to raise your hand, and I want to pray with you. Is there anybody at all? Anybody at all? Don't worry about what people think. The Lord loves you. He brought you here for a reason. If you confess Him before men, the Bible says He'll confess you before His Father in heaven. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before his Father in heaven. If you don't know the Lord and you don't raise your hand, you're denying him right now. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. God loves you. Is there anybody at all? Anybody at all? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love and your grace, and we thank you, Lord, that those of us who have given our lives to you, that we are free. We've been set free from sin and death. Lord, that we're heaven-bound. We're going to be spending eternity in your presence. Lord, we look forward to that day. And I pray, Lord, until that day comes, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the fullness of your Spirit, Lord, to abide in your Word, to have an impact on this world that is so at such desperate need for you. Lord, I know that no doubt there were at least a few people here that were struggling this morning with, with making a commitment to you. And I pray, Father God, that by the love of your Spirit, Lord, you'd minister to their hearts and they would just reach out to you, Lord, and know that they can have that relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. Just bless the rest of this time we have together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand up and close the worship song. Yeah.